Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. the walk up to Easter Uh, and it seemed as we came to Easter this year we're just thinking about it we wanted to have a little bit of an emphasis on getting behind the story behind the story of Easter recognizing that for all of us Easter can be a the, the image I've had in my mind is a bit like wallpaper so whether your image of Easter is you know kind of one of horrific pain and 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 sacrifice or maybe one of, you know, kind of noble love, or maybe it's even sort of, you know, the 2021 version of Easter bunnies and, and, you know, kind of a holiday time, you know, whatever Easter ultimately sort of puts together in your mind, even the sort of the more religious symbolism of the thing can just kind of almost blur out and it can be just taken into just like the wallpaper in your house or something like that. And so we wanted to think a little bit about, well, So what's behind the story? What could stir us and stimulate us to be thinking it through? And so if you're here last week, Tim kicked us off with a series, The Improbable God, the the pilgrimage of an improbable God last week. And just two of the things, two of the ingredients he talked about was the the difference between Pax Romana and Pax Christi, the the peace of Rome, the peace of Christ, and how how vastly different they are. And he he talked about Jesus coming in on the donkey, which is probably a Sunday school story, which we're probably aware of. But the difference between, you know, a triumphant king or, or, or military leader coming in on a, on a war horse and, and what it's symbolizing, what it's doing. And through these, this week in our Easter service, we're hoping to throw out some of these thoughts that you can play with, that you can work with and develop along the way. And so this pilgrimage, even, even in the name of an improbable God, seems like a, an invitation to explore and to grow uh, an invitation to disrupt, I think, some of our understanding of God and and get beyond the wallpaper, allow maybe some of those things to come into the room or maybe some of those things even to leave the room along the way. And so today we're visiting the courts of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. I can't help think he looks like Prince Charles, so but I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what that means. That's not significant. Um, and we're going to the Last Supper, and so we're going to, we're going to be with... Jesus and Pilate, Jesus both times Pilate uh, in the first example. And then we're going to try and juxtapose the image of the hands of Pilate as he washes himself of responsibility in the hands of Jesus as he washes the feet of the disciples. And hopefully I'm going to be able to throw in some thoughts that you'll be able to think about beyond this Sunday. So, so have, a, have a think about that as we go. So I'm going to read the two scriptures. They're relatively long passages And I'm just going to comment as I go. Um, They'll be familiar to many of you. If you're unfamiliar with church, maybe they won't be so much. But both of these in some ways have gone into kind of general society understanding. And so from John 13, we'll go. This is a Tintoretto uh, of the washing of the disciples' feet. So I'll be reading from verses 1 to 15 of John 13. If you do want to have a look, and I'll throw up some scriptures along the way. So in verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come 
for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. This, I, I've, I've stopped at this scripture. This is only the first one I'm going to read, but I've stopped at this scripture all week, interestingly, because one of the most significant scriptures to me of the last 10 years has been John 1, 10 and 11, which says this, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's sort of undone me in lots of ways. Here's Jesus comes into the world, and his people didn't even recognize him and didn't receive him. And here we have Jesus at the end of his life, coming towards the end of his life, and the testimony of Jesus is that having loved his own who was in the world, he loved them to the end. And there's something juxtaposed even in those two things, which I think is powerful for us. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And I'm interested in this because there's a lot of theological discussion about how much did Jesus know about his divinity um, throughout his life? Did it grow or how did, how did he know? Well, it seems here he's very aware of, of where he's at and what he's doing. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And we will read in a minute, and, and again, you may be familiar with this as scriptures, that he goes on to wash Peter's feet or, or, or to, to, to debate with Peter as to whether he should. But the thing that occurs to me is that if he washed his disciples' feet, and I'm not sure if he did all of them, he, he washed Judas's feet. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, kind of think of the person who is most offensive in your life or has been most offensive in your life. And that's the person that Jesus with his hands, is washing the feet of. The person who he knows that we've read already is about to betray him. And Jesus, in an act of submission and love, is washing the, defeat, uh, the, the, defeat, the feet of the betrayer, the one who would betray him. It's powerful, isn't it? Drying him with the towel that was wrapped around him. He called to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I reckon that's a calling out of the wallpaper type of scripture. Unless Jesus is allowed into my life somehow, then you will have no part with me. You know, kind of thing, this this, this invitation of being washed and washed again by Jesus. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, but that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I wonder what that means. I wonder what that means to you or to us. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Wow. You know, kind of if we, if we journal that, if we think about that, you know, what is this example of Jesus and where does it apply in my life and where I am 
through here in 2021. So that's John 13, the story of the washing of the disciples' feet. I'm going to take you now to Matthew 27. Uh, this is Antonio Cesare. Um, oh, didn't click up. Antonio Cesare's um, account of um, Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Um, and so I'm going to read Matthew 27 from verses 15 to 26. So again, if you want to flick through to the scriptures, you can. I'll, I'll show some of them up there. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? What a great question that is. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They all answered him, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, said Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, the washing of the hands. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Imagine saying that, you know. His blood is on us and on our children, you know, kind of thing. It's like, crikey. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Two sets of hands. The hands of Jesus washing feet, the hands of Pilate washing away responsibility. Representing two very different hearts, I think it's fair to say. Pilate's a fascinating character. He only appears for four hours in the scriptures. That's all we get to see him for that. He's a historical figure, clearly, so we know more about him than that. Um, but he's one of the great characters of history that we know, really for two reasons. One is because of this washing of the hands Thing that he did. And the other is because he is one of only two people apart from Jesus who's recorded in what we know as the Apostles' Creed from the fourth century, which is the essence of so much of our theology. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. We'll celebrate that in two Sunday mornings time. So Mary gets a mention, and Pilate gets a mention, which is incredible. I wonder why that is. Um, I don't exactly know, but I, but, but I do know that Pilate represents a few things. Pilate represents somebody who refuses to stand up for justice because Jesus is there as an innocent man and he is there as a person in a place of authority and he refuses to stand up for justice. Proverbs 18.5, not good to be partial to the wicked and to deprive the innocent of justice. Pilate is a man who stands for, um, for, for someone who refuses to seek the truth. He has an account in this encounter with Jesus in John. It talks about Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me and Pilate kind of contemptuously says, but what is truth? And then he walks out, to the, it sounds like quite an you know, inviting question, but then he walks out to the crowd and he takes his truth from the baying crowd and the crucifixion takes place. 
Pilate refuses to let Jesus come close. You know, kind of he keeps him at arm's length. Not my responsibility, not my, not my job, that's yours. You know, allow it to be on your heads and on your children's heads. But for me, I'm just going to wash my hands here because symbolically that's it. The hands are important, aren't they? I mean, obviously they're important to so, much, so many things that we do in life. But they're also part, aren't they, of our, of our, of our English language. I'm sort of thinking about hands terminology. I'll give you a hand. Oh, I'll, I'll come and help you. All hands on deck. We need everybody to take part in this thing. I want to extend the hand of friendship. Maybe that's a handshake or maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a broader thing. Oh, that person, they're safe hands. I can't help you. My hands are tied. You know, it's like I really like to, but my hands are tied. The devil finds work for idle hands, we sometimes might say. Hands are, are really significant. What we do with our hands, they, they penetrate, don't they, just apart from the, you know, kind of the actual physical. And so I've, I've, I've kind of just got three juxtapositions of hands that I really want to just offer to you to kind of mentally note if you're not able to take notes and just to ponder during the week. Um, and they're, they're like this. We have the option, really, of clean hands or dirty hands. I think we see that. Jesus' hands, ironically, are probably dirtier than Pilate's, you know, kind of in a physical sense, but we understand, you know, kind of in the, in the broader sense in terms of the state of the heart. But clean hands or dirty hands. Psalm 24 says that who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may I stand on the holy hill? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart is a really significant thing. You know, Macbeth says after killing Duncan, he says, will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? And it's kind of like we just know that we need an encounter because all great Neptune's blood, uh, uh, water doesn't wash um, this plant's blood from my hands. So clean hands or dirty hands, this Easter, what is our journey? What is our walk? What is our pilgrimage? Or open hands or tight fists, I think is a, you know, kind of something to, to think about as well. Not a hand thing, but a tight fist. You know, here's Jesus performing one of the most menial tasks for a person who would sell him for 30 pieces of silver, eventually, because we know the story. The one whose name is associated with giving his life gets his hand dirty to serve the one whose name will stand for betrayal and death. And there's an incredible juxtaposition in that with Judas, let alone with Pilate. John Wimber, who founded the vineyard, often used to say, and, and he would say it often in, in relation, relation to financial things, but he said, God can't fill a closed fist. It's like, you know, kind of there's a generosity of heart and spirit and, and, and money as well, but, but more in this sense that, you know, kind of as we are open-handed, do we want to be an open-handed or do we want to be a closed fist type of people? I think Easter leads us on a journey towards an open-handedness. And then lastly, sort of skillful hands, or do we want to have, a, again, another thing? Is, I've got my hands in my pockets, you know? Sort of this um, uh, apathetic type thing, I think, that we might do. And you'll know, many of you will know that, you know, Psalm 78, 70 to 72 talks about David leading with skillful hands because that's been an important thing for me in terms of pastoring. But the sense of, 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 of our skillful hands being, being released by God to do the things that God's called us to do it, I think it's a great journey for us to go down as we lead up to Easter. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, for, the, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So do, Nick, if you don't mind just um, nipping out and grabbing our youth and our kids, they'll come in. 
either noisily or quietly, we'll just figure it out as we go, and join us so that we can come to our auction. But just I'd like to leave you, you know, with those ideas, clean hands or dirty hands, open hands or tight fists, or skillful hands, or hands in pockets. But on top of that, I just want to leave you with two scriptures that we've, that we've read already, which may be your invitation to a pilgrimage with an improbable God this week. And the first is this one. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? I think, I think rooting Easter in history 2,000 years ago is fundamentally flawed. It's fundamentally wallpaper. It's in, a, it's in a part of the Bible that doesn't bring life unless it's, unless it's brought to the surface in 2021. And so our Easter is going to be different this year than it was last year and has been different at any time. But what are you going to do? What am I going to do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? I just think it's such a beautiful question and comes out of, I don't know, Pilate's... Um, evasiveness but it's a question that can be good for us and then secondly is the words of Jesus at the end of his washing the disciples feet when he says I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you what does that mean to you what does that mean in your life and in my life in this and I think in that process we're invited to meet an improbable God, a God who might surprise us, a God who might become real, and a God who might maybe, you know, kind of challenge us perhaps in ways that if we just left him on the wall that we might not be able to um, encounter along the way. So why don't we, no, we won't stand because the kids will just wait at the door if that's the case. But why don't we pray? And kids might come in. And I'm just going to lead you in a, a wee prayer for a few moments and I'm just going to invite God to be in that and if it gets messy and stuff like that, it doesn't matter at all love kids pouring into church, isn't that a, a, a wonderful example of life so Lord we come before you and we thank you, even as our kids our youth, our children come in come on in guys come on in and Lord we ask this question what, what do we do with you what do I do, come on in guys Come on in. Oh, they're so polite. Yeah, that's it. And Lord, we just ask that you'd show us as we, as we walk this journey of Easter, you'd show us who and what we are. What do we do? And Lord, you've set us an example, and it seems so much that that example wasn't meant to die with the disciples. But there's something in there for us as well. And so, Lord, we pray that this Easter, as we ponder last week's message, this week's message, and indeed, whether it be at Easter camp or Easter Sunday here or be it at um, camp out next week or wherever we are, Lord, that you would lead us towards you, improbable God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.